Once you start to see it, you can pretty much easily tell the difference between an elk rub, moose rub, deer rub compared to a bear peel. You're skinning this bear and it's like, you might as well just put your hand in Crisco. Cause I mean, that's how greasy that stuff is. The first bear I ever shot, when I shot it, I was like, oh sweet, no, it was huge, it was a bear. Then I get up to it and it was, you know, one and a half times the size of a golden lab. Food sources change throughout the years for bear. And with that, bear's locations change throughout the years following the food source. Hi, this is Douglas Bose, the author of The Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting, and you're listening to The Wild Initiative. Put down your latte and pull on your boots. I've been blessed to harvest 22 of the 29 North American animals with my bow. My personal 24-hour record for death threats is 88. They will start putting two and two together and realize this is how you call bulls in. So when I go hunting now, that's the ethos I take with me. You know, whatever, whatever this hunt is going to throw at you, you pull your big girl pants up and you get on with it. Giant bucks are freaking awesome. They're beautiful. But you know what? I would not trade this first buck for anything in the world. So I'm really, I'm a geek. Magicians and dragons and magic swords. <laughs> I shit you not, man. I'm the biggest dork in the gun business. I'm Freddie Hartice, Hollywood Hunter. This is Aaron Snyder. Hey, this is Trevin Stoltzfus with Outback Outdoors. This is Rihanna Carey. Hi, this is John Sloan of the Interviews with the Haunting Masters. You're listening to The Wild Initiative. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of The Wild Initiative, brought to you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Y'all, now that I'm here in Montana, I should be getting my residency very, very soon. And coming up, I'm super excited to spend my first spring season out here chasing black bears. And because I'm going to be chasing black bears, I, of course, had to reach out and get a refresher from the man himself, Douglas Bowes, author of The Ultimate Guide to Black Bear Hunting. If y'all been listening for a while, uh, you may have listened to Doug's prior episode, but I'm excited to have him back, y'all. Thank you so much for joining me today, man. No, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to sit down and talk black bears with people on podcasts, so <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thanks, sir. Thanks again. So, you know, we already kind of went through on the prior episode, you know, uh, went through your background, but just really quick, maybe uh, give us a quick introduction of your books, the what you've written, and so people can make sure to check those out. Yeah, no problem. So the first book I wrote was just called No Bait, Just Bears. It was like a self-published book, um, kind of condensed, uh, just talked about bear hunting, black bear hunting specifically without the use of bait or dogs, hence the title. Um, the state that I live in, Washington, you can't use bait or dogs. And so there's 
on the internet, I'd always see questions about how to actually pursue black bears without those two methods. And so I just decided to kind of throw up my knowledge of that on that book uh, and then send it out to the world. And then from that, I uh, sent that out to publishers and said, hey, this is kind of what I'm about. Um, and then my publisher, uh, Skyhorse from New York, they picked me up and, and said, hey, we like the book and what you're about. So what would you, um, you know, expand on that on that topic to include baiting? Um, and so that's where the ultimate guide to black bear hunting came in. Um, and so that contains, you know, everything from spring black bear hunting to fall to uh hide care to recipes, you know, all that stuff. And then includes baiting as well. Um, and then, you know, I've written a couple other just side pieces, uh, uh, about different hunting stories in, in magazines, or I've written, uh, another kind of an all around story that my, my dad got drawn for uh, mountain goat here in Washington. So I wrote kind of a recap of that. It's only like 50 pages, but it's on Amazon. It's called 70 years in the making goats, glaciers, and bears. And so it talks about my dad's mountain goat hunt, my brother, shot a bear on that hunt as well. And then just all the kind of family fun and adventure that goes with that. So that's kind of where I came from. There you go. That sounds awesome. I'm going to make sure to link to all of that on the show notes page. People, so people can go check those out, but we are here to discuss bears. Um, so really, man, what, what is it for you? Because I mean, I don't, I don't think anyone can deny, like you are a, you're a through and through bear predator hunting kind of guy is that an accurate statement definitely yeah um you know in the in the show request when we had when you had us fill out the form about uh, uh people who we admire this or that and i i wrote down randy anderson and randy anderson of uh calling all coyotes of the primos fame he's really kind of what got me interested in calling predators i mean i always wanted to know kind of how to call coyotes and stuff so then when i started to watch his shows on on calling all coyotes and the verminators and stuff like that that really kind of got me hooked and i decided to go out and try it for myself and the very first time i ever predator called i called in a, a coyote and a bobcat on the same set so i don't know if that was like a gift from god or what but i you know i don't think that's happened since getting a, a bobcat and a coyote to come in on the <laughs> same set but uh that was definitely hook line and sinker for me i thought how cool is this um, and I've been addicted ever since. And then from that, I kind of, I kind of got interested in hunting bears and, and, and calling them in and things like that. And so that's, that's kind of where I morphed from. <laughs> so did you getting into, especially bear hunting, you know, you mentioned kind of watching Randy Anderson's videos, but, uh, did you have a mentor as you were getting into this or is a lot of everything you learned just sort of a trial and error as over the years, uh, trial and error, uh, reading a lot online of just what other guys had, had done over the years, you know, and, and I always tell people you learn best by doing. So just going out there and giving it a shot and, and what has worked for me and trying to remember that and what hasn't worked for me and, and trying to focus away from that. Um, there's also a gentleman named uh, Carlton from Carlton Calls. That's his last name. I forget his first. It escapes me for some reason. But he had a video out uh, called Calling Bears, They Come to Eat. And it's a DVD. Um, and I watched that. And boy, that really got into me too. And he gave some really good tips on there on, on just kind of how to get started. And so I would say with the internet, trial and error, and you know, just gathering what I could from 
what was out there on DVDs and books and just kind of putting that all together and giving it uh, effort. That's kind of where I get my inspiration and my, my luck or <laughs> skill and calling from. So let's, let's maybe start this from the beginning. You know, I'm, I'm here in Montana. Uh, you know, I've hunted out here before, but I don't have a lot of experience with new areas. Would you recommend, obviously, you know, boots on the ground is going to be a, a solid option, but are there certain things you look for maybe uh, e-scouting wise that, that somebody could look for uh, to start narrowing down locations if they want to go bear hunting? Well, yeah, it, it depends on the time of year that you're going to go bear hunting. So let's just say that you are going to go bear hunting in the spring because that's what's coming up. In that instance, I would kind of look for like avalanche shoots, you know, they kind of well, den and, and areas like that kind of hang out and come out in areas like that. I would definitely be looking for sides of the hill that are going to be greening up first and, you know, areas that you can have access to and that don't get a lot of human attention. That's kind of important too. And also, at least for me, uh, in Western Washington, because of the way that they, they peel the trees and the way the trees die off, I'm always on the, on the, the lookout for trees that are dead um, like completely dead or ones that are red or orange as they're dying. Um, because that's kind of clues as to, Hey, there was bear, you know, last year or the year before stripping trees in this area. That's definitely a spot I want to go check out. And you know, there's certain sizes of trees that they do this to. They don't necessarily go on really big mature full trees. They're, they're smaller trees that, you know, if you put your hands together, like a, like a cup, um, touching your fingertips and your thumb, that's about the size of the tree. Maybe a little bigger, maybe a little smaller. That's about the size of the tree that they strip. And as far as e-scouting goes, you know, just cool, um, cool creeks, a lot of draws, you know, you want water, food and shelter for any sort of animal, but I always kind of stick to gullies and, and areas that are greening up first and then um, just creek bottoms and stuff. They seem to like those and, you know, saddles that they, can travel through, but I, I definitely would focus on, on gullies and, and green up would be first and foremost in the spring. So, uh, obviously, you know, this will probably differ, uh, at least, uh, a little bit from state to state in the spring, but, uh, what, what are we, you typically looking for food wise? What do you, what do you expect bears to be eating as they're coming out in the spring? Um, grass shoots would be first and foremost, you know, that kind of just pops out and they start to, they start to chew on that fresh green grass and get their digestive system going. Um, and uh, even in Western Washington, that's what I look for. But in Montana, that's, that's what I would be specifically looking for too. Um, wild onions, uh, if you can find any sort of skunk cabbage, uh, and if for our listeners, if you don't know what that is, it comes out of swamps and it has a kind of a bright yellow flower. And then the leaf is a real broad, it almost looks like a cabbage, but a, a real, oh, I'd say eight, 10 inches wide by maybe three foot long when they're full grown. And if you hit it with a stick or something, it stinks like skunk. So that's why they call it skunk cabbage. And they tend to chew on that stuff as part of their diet. And then, like I say, the, the trees, when they strip that bark and they're looking for that cambium layer, you know, trees, they'll store their sap down in the roots. And then as things heat up, that sugary stuff comes up through the roots and up through the tree. And that's what the bears are kind of going after. So you want to watch for those markings too. And then later in the spring as well, if you know of like elk calving areas or, uh, 
you know, where, where deer are dropping fawns, you can pay attention to those areas because I'm sure that uh, bear over the years, um, they, they figure out where those areas are popular. And so that's the place that you can focus on too. And maybe take a bear out of that area and relieve some of the predator pressure from <laughs> those ungulates, which is an important, important thing for us to do as hunters. I was going to say, you're just serving yourself come, uh, come later falls in a couple of years. That's right. <laughs> um, you know, so you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the bears stripping the trees and you know, this, I, I guess this may be a little difficult, uh, you know, without video or pictures or anything, but how would you say, tell the difference between that and maybe like, I, I guess, you know, timeline, timeline is different too. In theory, you shouldn't be seeing them stripping the trees and the, the deer or elk rubbing around the same time, but like what visually would be different between those, between those two things, like maybe a deer or an elk rub versus like uh, bears stripping those trees. So like with a deer or an elk rub, um, sometimes height is a, a big difference. Like, um, you know, an elk is going to have kind of a tall scratch marks on the trees and it might go down a ways, but it probably won't go all the way down to the ground. Um, and then deer kind of the same thing, although, you know, smaller brushes and stuff, they'll just get wiped out. But, and it, and it looks like almost like a cat or something's got to it. And it's just all shredded and clawed, you know, not clawed, but, but shredded. Mm -hmm. Um, and then with, with bear, when they strip the trees, it almost looks like you're taking full on strips of the stuff of the bark off the tree, like, you know, one or two inch strips. And sometimes you'll just find those on the ground, just kind of stripped out. And with elk and uh, deer rubs, you don't, you don't get that because they just kind of just shred it almost like a cheese grater. And once that bark is stripped off like that, and sometimes it'll go right down, right down to the ground and it'll be up, you know, four or five feet in the air. And it's, it's peeled. It looks like someone's taken a knife or a saw or something and just peeled that right down to the wood. Um, and it's, it's almost clean. Whereas with antler rubbings, it's all kind of just meshed together and real scratched up and, and gnarly looking. But the bears, they'll they'll have vertical lines where they're scraping their teeth along there as well. So it's kind of a, it's the the bear wood and then the vertical lines from their teeth going straight up and down pretty much. Now, there'll be some angle to it here or there. But once you start to see it, you'll definitely be seeing it a lot more often. And you can pretty much easily tell the difference between an elk rub, moose rub, deer rub compared to a bear peel. I mean, so we're looking more the difference between, say, a cheese grater and uh, a potato peeler, if you will. Very similar. And also, right in the spring, antlers have been dropped. And deer and elk, they're not rubbing necessarily trees with their antlers. Um, and so if you find a fresh bear peel, you know, sometimes there's not even sap on the tree yet. And so you know that that's, that's recent. You know, a deer hasn't stripped that tree within the last week because there'd be sap or something on it, you know, from, from the previous fall, this mm -hmm. is definitely something fresh. Um, and, and you know, if you find trees without, without that wound getting healed up with the sap, you know, bears are getting to it and you can hop online too. So it's hard to describe kind of visually through radio or a podcast, I guess, but you know, pop online or, or take a look at my book or any of the photos online, you can, you can give you a good idea as to what that will look like in real life. Yeah. And, and I know mostly, mostly for this, for this episode, you know, I want to focus on, on spring season, but uh, 
Will you see bears stripping trees in the fall as well? Or is that more of a spring thing? To my knowledge, it's more of a spring thing because in the, in the fall they have, you know, berries and other things to eat and uh, more higher calorie, easier things to get to compared to, you know, in the spring, there's not a lot to eat yet. And so they're kind of getting to what they can. And that's one of the first things that kind of come up. Okay. So, I mean, generally, obviously there's probably exceptions out there, but generally if you're seeing trees stripped down and it's the spring, it's most likely from a bear. If you're seeing them, if you're seeing them stripped down in the fall, you're probably looking at a rub from an elk, you know, even all the other signs of it aside, it's, you can just generally look at the season and probably make an educated guess one way or the other. Yeah. And, and sometimes even, uh, so the other difficult thing, not difficult, but the other possibility is porcupines, porcupine, porcupines kind of strip the bark off of certain trees as well. But lots of times you'll find, porcupine dung kind of at the base of the tree or their quills now and again i haven't seen a lot of them but they they do look similar they're not as as big in damage to the tree necessarily all the time um at least the ones i've noticed but um that that is a similarity and uh, you'll notice also on porcupine strips the scratches are all kind of smaller and they're more kind of sporadic but they they have stripped that bark very similar to what a bear does Okay. So we talked about, uh, talked about those, uh, the bear bear strip in the trees. You know, I imagine, uh, you'd also be looking for scat, uh, tracks, any other signs that you might be looking for, you know, you've, you've narrowed it down with some e-scouting. You're, you're doing some boots on the ground scouting, looking for some good areas, any other, any other signs or things to, uh, keep an eye out for? Uh, I always check. So if I, if I find a, a tree that's been stripped, I always check to see if there's any hair on there. Um, because you know, lots of times that'll tell you what did that stripping or what color that animal is. So if you're looking for like a color phase and there's, you know, black bear hair on it, that's black. That tells you that there's a, a general black bear in the area. Um, but sometimes I've checked tree strippings and it's got, you know, color phase black bear hair on it. And so that tells you that a color phase is in the area. So I, I mean, even, even in the fall, if there's any sort of disturbance like uh, of bushes or anything like that, I almost always stop and look and look at the uh, blackberry thorns or anything like that to see if I can find any sort of scrap of hair on there to see, Hey, was this a bear or, you know, what was it? So that's one sign that I always look for. And then, like I say, the, you know, if, if you're walking along and you see a ridge line and you see those, those dead trees, orange trees, or, you know, red trees, that's always kind of indicative of spring bear damage. And so that's something that a lot of people don't notice, but if you slow down and kind of take the time and you start looking around for that, you definitely notice it more. And I mean, there's even a hill next to a lake by my house where it looks, I mean, you can follow like the bear's trail that he went down that hillside (laughs) of the, of the dotted dead trees. You know, it's kind of cool to see. And if, you know, a barrel strip, a dozen trees in a day if it wants to. I mean, they, they can just really do a lot of damage to those things. So when you find a good spot, you definitely know it. Um, like you say, there's scat, there's tracks, previous spring bear damage. Um, that's pretty much all I'm looking for. Okay. So you're starting to see sign. You're starting to see sign in the area. Maybe you found, you know, some stripping, you've seen some scat. So, you know, there's likely uh, 
a bear in the area or there will be one coming back. What's your next step at this point? It kind of depends on the terrain. So, you know, if I'm in an area that I can sit in glass, you know, like a canyon or something like that, where I have a decent, I can see across the other way, you know, there's decent openings. I'll sit and I'll glass and I'll look for a bear popping out of those trees, you know, eating, eating in the grassy fields or something to that effect. Um, if it's real brushy, uh, I'll cruise along kind of slow and, uh, I'll look for swampy areas. I'll look for, um, openings in, in the thick brush. So you can hop on, hop on any sort of e-scouting tool and, um, you know, look at a satellite view. And, and this is actually how I got my first spring bears. I, I, uh, found some sign on the edges of these reprod growth, but it was super thick, you know, and I walked in and I couldn't see, you know, 10 yards in front of me. Um, and I thought, well, this is a cool area, but I don't really know a lot about it and this or that. So I ended up leaving. And then that night I looked at it on satellite view and I noticed that in that reprod, which was flat and surrounded by, or had a swamp that it kind of surrounded, there was little teeny dots everywhere of 10, 20, 30 to 50 yards openings of grass, um, just kind of pockmarked throughout this whole area that was a half mile long and, and X amount wide. So then I popped in there and I started checking out these little openings and sure enough, there's bear that had been going through those grassy areas eaten. And, uh, I ended up sitting in the longer strip of that grass and that's where I got my first spring bear. So that's one way for thick brush. You know, if I, if I end up in thick brush, that's, I'll be looking for little openings, advantages to where I can get a bear or, you know, I'll be looking for travel corridors but also now it's not hundred percent effective all the time, but I'll predator call in those thick areas trying to break something loose. Um, that's just kind of my go-to thing. If I'm in a real thick area, a real big area, I'll do predator calls to have the sound do my walking and not necessarily me spreading my scent and everything everywhere. Um, and sometimes that'll let you know kind of what's in the area. It might not be a shooter bear, but something might pop out or you might see it running across, you know, the other canyon or this or that. So that's kind of my strategy for, for brushy areas. That, that, all, that all actually brings up two questions for me. You know, one, let's, let's talk about the bear's senses. Uh, touch on that really quick. Sure. You know, as far as, you know, obviously, you know, you, you don't want them to see you, hear you, smell you at all, but uh, what, you know, what's kind of the hierarchy when it comes, when it comes to bears, uh, as far as their senses, what, you know, what's kind of the best, the middle and the the worst when it comes to their senses? Well, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I'm just kind of a hunter. And this is what I've observed. You know, you can fool their eyesight then you can fool their ears, but you're not going to fool their nose. So their nose is like number one. That's the thing that you gotta, you gotta watch your wind. You gotta make sure. Cause once they smell you, most of the time they're off and running. Most mm-hmm. of the time eyesight, I think they can see, you know, similar to what we can maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. I don't know for sure, but you can, you can kind of fool their, their eyesight or if they're content feeding sometimes and they might catch the movement as long as they don't kind of pinpoint what you are, they might be curious and, and not, or not really even care that you're there, especially if it's a bigger bear. And so you can kind of get away with moving on your stand or, or working your way around to the, to the bear's. Um, and then, you know, hearing, 
I think they can hear fairly well. In fact, I think most predators can hear a lot better than what a lot of people give them credit for. Um, I've observed, you know, a coyote running down a, a logging road that was a quarter mile away or something like that. And I just kind of squeaked on my lips and he stopped dead, dead in his tracks running away from me and turned around and started running right toward me. And I wasn't, <laughs> you know, I wasn't screaming on a Fox pro or nothing. I just kind of squeaked my lips and sure enough, he picked that right up. Uh, and I, I think bears are similar to that, that they, you know, they're predators. They're, they're, uh, looking for opportunities for food and they're always searching for food. So if they hear something like that, the, the possibility of them to come and check it out is pretty good, I think. Um, so yeah, I got off course there to answer your question. Um, you're not going to fool their nose. Um, you know, they can see similar to us and, and hearing as well. So just watch, really watch your scent with bears. That's my, that's, that's key. Okay. And, and so then I guess my other question is, you know, say you're glassing and you're a ways off and you pick up a, you pick up a bear kind of walking out into clearing, do some feeding. Will bears generally stay or, you know, from your observation, will bears generally stay in kind of the same general area or are they, you know, off on a mission and they're traveling, you know, from ridge to ridge? In my experience, if the, if the food is there and they're undisturbed, they're not going to necessarily go all over the place. I mean, they're going to be moving, but they won't necessarily go from canyon to canyon. Um, I've, I've observed uh, blueberry fields in the fall that, you know, the bear's there one day and then goes to bed basically right in the field and then wakes up and then he's still there because there's still food there. And I, I think that's very similar in the spring that if they find a nice green patch, um, and they're not being disturbed by humans or another bear necessarily, a bigger one. They're going to hang out there until another food source attracts them somewhere else. Or later in the spring, if the rut starts kicking up, they're going to start following um, females. So, you know, bears are, are moving a lot, but they're searching for food and they'll stick around if, if the food is there, in my opinion. Okay. Oh, and you know what? Real quick, to to go back on on something about uh, looking for uh, more sign for bear in the spring, I was going to bring that up. Sometimes, if you walk by, so around here we'll have alders and stuff, and you'll you'll see an alder and it's broke off at say you know five or six feet in the air, it's just bent over. Sometimes bears will be putting their sense, you know, they're marking their territory. They're letting other bears know that they're hanging around. And so they'll rub up against those trees and then they'll grab the tops or whatever. And they kind of snap it over their shoulders. Um, that's another sign um, that kind of tells you that there's bear in the area. I always check if I see those trees snapped, I'm looking at that snap point to see if there I can find any hair. Okay. So that, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I'm sure that's definitely, you're going to, you're a lot more likely to see hair on those sections too. Uh, if they're snapping them over their shoulder, over their back like that. Yeah. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know, our products are built right and stand up to everyday use who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors. Log on and shop. 24-7 with super fast shipping, midwayusa.com. So, you know, say, okay, you're, you're doing some glassing. You know, you mentioned uh, sometimes you'll, you'll see some of these open spots and you'll go sit in there, do some predator calling. 
generally, you know, say you've spotted a bear and, 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 you know, uh, you're interested in, in pursuing that particular bear. What's, what's kind of your, uh, your strategy going in, uh, going in after a particular bear? Is that something you do? I am more so of an opportunist when it comes to bear hunting. Um, however, recently in the last couple of years, I've been looking specifically for a blonde bear because I want to complete my kind of grand slam of bear colors. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm very specific on the, the, the coloration of bear that I want to shoot. That's why in the last couple of years, you probably haven't seen me on Instagram posting <laughs> a lot of bears. A, I didn't need the meat and uh, B, I'm, I'm, I'm looking really specific for these things. Um, so for me, it's really situational. Um, you know, if I, if I see a, a bear in a blueberry patch or a blackberry patch and he's, he's interested in the, in the food, he's going to be preoccupied with that food. So you can move in on bear fairly easily as long as you watch the wind and your noise, if they're preoccupied with food, um, if they're traveling along a road or something and they're not preoccupied, that's a different story. But strategy wise, you know, I move when their heads down and they're feeding, I watch the wind and I get close to where I need to. Otherwise for me, it's, it's a lot of predator calling. That's kind of, kind of my thing. Uh, uh, I just tend to, I tend to do that more often than I do spot and stock. Gotcha. So talking about, you know, you're getting in on, you're getting in on your bear. Um, how does shot placement on a bear differ than, uh, than say maybe on a, a deer or an elk? Uh, I kind of relate it to sweaters. <laughs> so follow me on this now. If, if, if you're a guy and you've got like a, a form fitting, you know, tight t-shirt on, you can kind of see your, your outfit of, or excuse me, the outline of your body. Uh, and that's similar to deer. Deer have kind of a smooth, tight fitting coat. You know, they're not real fluffy necessarily. Um, and so the hair won't necessarily throw your, your shot off. Now with bear, it's different. Like if a guy is wearing a real big puffy coat or a real big fluffy sweater, you, you know, you can see the outline of their body, but it might not, it's, it's not as form fitting. So you don't know for sure where things are. Right. And so with bear, you got to take that into consideration. Their hair might be three, four inches long, longer in spots in the fall. And so that can throw your kind of your shot off. Um, it's kind of a saying the middle of the middle is where a lot of people shoot for bears. So you're looking for the middle of the middle of the bear. As far as I'm concerned, you want to shoot kind of almost in the armpit, kind of just behind the shoulder. And you want to wait for that. For the, if, if the bear is broadside to you, let's say it's facing, uh, its nose is facing to your left. You wait for that left shoulder to move forward a little bit. And that will allow that, shoulder blade to get out of the way and you can you can nail those vitals um a little bit but the the biggest thing for me was deer is the is the fur uh the deer and bear um like i say deer real smooth you can tell their body really easy bear kind of fluffy and that can throw your shot off um so and you know and that that goes to uh tracking the bear too so you know if, if you shoot a deer they won't plug up as quick because they're not as fat as a bear is uh, and their hair is not as long. So you have a decent blood trail with bear, you know, you might hit them decently and you might not have a whole lot of blood necessarily all the time because that 
that body gets plugged up. The, the, the hole gets plugged up with the fat and the hair. And so it might not leave a good trail. Um, so there's, there's definite differences between shooting, hunting and tracking deer than there are bear. Bear require a little bit more effort sometimes in, in tracking and, and finding them compared to deer, in my opinion. So would it be, I know a lot of people will, uh, with a rifle in particular, will take like an intentional shoulder shot on a deer or other animals. Is that, is that a viable, uh, a viable option for bear? So I, I have read where, you know, obviously different people have different opinions. Um, some want middle of the middle. Some people always want to break the shoulders. Um, so the thing can't run as well or can't run period. I used to, I, I was raised in, uh, at, at, in Hunter's head, you know, shooting, breaking the shoulders. That was kind of their thing. And then as I've gotten older and I used to do that with deer all the time, as I've gotten older, I've learned to kind of shoot, you know, behind that shoulder. So you don't waste so much meat, you know, cause if you shoot something, you can get a lot of waste on, on the shoulder if you break it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just kind of advise people just kind of behind it, the armpit area, the middle of the middle. And, and, you know, if, if you have a chance to sit there and watch a bear through your binos or whatever, and particularly it's not one you want to hunt, stop and take the time and actually watch it. You can learn a lot from their body uh, just by watching them and, and, and watching their, their reactions to things and, you know, just taking the time to kind of get to know the animal and how it moves, um, you know, when you should take shot opportunities and when you shouldn't just take your time and, and watch and, and learn about that animal. That's part of me when I'm hunting bear, if I'm, if I'm glassing and I see a bear, I almost, I'm in awe of it. You know, I'll just sit and I'll watch it half the time because it's just such a neat thing for me to watch. But yeah, anyway, I got off topic there. So yeah, uh, personally, I don't break the shoulder. I kind of want to go behind the shoulder. Okay. Um, yeah. I was just curious, especially, you know, if, I mean, you know, in, in theory, you're making an ideal shot and, and that bear won't go running very far. But yeah, the, I was just curious kind of about that idea of, okay, hit that shoulder, can't really run. You're not as worried about the, the tracking or, you know, the, the hole plugging up and you losing that blood trail. Yeah. Um, if you are going to aim for the shoulder, make sure you have a, a you know, a good bullet that's going to penetrate that muscle and bone, you know, that's a, a nice thick bear shoulder compared to a deer, you know, like a, again, the deer, they're kind of, they're a lot more flat and they're not as muscular as, as say what a bear would be in its front shoulder comparatively speaking. So you'd want a solid bullet to be able to penetrate, to go through and, and hit the vitals and not just stop, you know, not just break its arm mm-hmm. um, and have the thing crawling around. You want to make sure you hit those vitals. And that's why I kind of aim where I do. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to, if you're going to be making a shot like that, need to make sure it's something that's actually going to go through the bear like it should. Right. Um, not just like you said, going to break its shoulder and leave it, leave it miserable. And because especially I'm sure the last thing you want to be doing is, is walking up on a, on a very unhappy wounded bear. No. Yeah. And you know, I, I hunt by myself lots of times bear. And, and if I do wound one, or even after I shoot one, if I didn't see it drop right away, that's always kind of a gut check as far as, well, you know, now I got to go in this 
the eight foot tall pile of brush and basically crawl on my hands and knees and, you know, go get this animal that could be wounded or whatever else I've, you know, tracked bears for other people and stuff too. And that's just always kind of a, it's just a hairy situation until you find the animal and you, you know, it's dead and everyone's safe. And mm-hmm. yeah, cause you know, you can get, you can get charged by those things. They're not happy when they're wounded like that. So that, that can get ugly. Um, that actually kind of transitions nicely into, uh, something else I wanted to ask you about. And, you know, are there, are there any other considerations, you know, you, you shoot that bear, you see it run off into the brush. What's next? You know, like, uh, what considerations do you have when you're, when you're tracking, trailing, a uh, bear versus, uh, versus a, a I guess, non-dangerous game. Well, I'm, I'm cautious even with deer too. So I'd hate to have a wounded deer jump up and gore me with his, with his antlers or something like that. But mm. it is a little bit different. Well, didn't um, that actually, I think that just happened last, this last season with an elk in Oregon. Didn't that, it, do you remember did. that story? Yeah. Yeah. I saw it on, I saw something about that on Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I have, I did read about that. Yeah. Unfortunately. Um, I'm going to, I'll have to, I'll have to link to that story. I, I, yeah, I remember that happened. And I think, I think he was an archery hunter. He, he made a shot and then, uh, and then he was tracking it and either came back the next day or something. And yeah, it jumped up and it, and it gored him. Yeah. Some along those lines, but, uh, but yeah, back, back to, back to tracking bears, you know, elk, elk are, elk are dangerous enough to track, but, uh, <laughs> definitely. So when yeah, when, bears, when tracking bears, um, I just take things really slow. I'll, 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 if once I shoot, if the thing doesn't drop right away, I'll sit and I'll just listen to where, you know, it, it may have gone. And then I'll listen for that notorious death ball that bears kind of have. And it's, it's a very mixed feeling I have when I, when I hear that, you know, it's like a respect thing and it's uh, almost mythical or something to, to me, how when a bear dies, not every time, um, but sometimes you'll hear that, that last moan, that growl, that roar. And I just kind of feel like their spirits, you know, letting loose. And, um, but it's also, I'll stop and I'll listen for that. And if you've heard it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you'll know what I'm talking about when you do hear it. Mm-hmm. So if I don't hear it, then I'll just go in after a half hour, 40 minutes, depending on, you know, how, how good I thought I, I hit it. And I'll, um, I'll follow that blood trail nice and slow uh really taking my time and I'll, i i always tell people at least where i'm from i always bring uh leather gloves because i'm usually going through briars and brush and a wounded bear tends to die in the worst of places whether it's down some avalanche chute or they bury themselves under a log or you know they they're like a tick they can hide just in the the smallest of spots and so you know i i think when you find deer deer are just kind of laying out all sprawled out and open bear lots of times kind of pile underneath a, a fallen log or in a stump or under a rock, you know, they just, they just, and they're black, you know, like a shadow. So they, they don't really stand out like a, like a deer might. Um, so there are some differences, you know, tracking bear, tracking deer. And it's, you know, if you can have, have somebody with you in case something does go South. Um, my brother shot a bear, uh, all years ago and, he had to go to work. Uh, he shot it in the evening, you know, right, right near dusk. And he thought he hit it decent and blah, blah, blah. And down this real nasty gully. And so the following morning he showed me where he hit and 
I went in there after it looking for it and I didn't find it until I was almost on top of the thing. But if it was a wounded bear and it was, it was dead, but if it had been wounded, that thing would have had to jump on me well before I ever saw it. So, um, yeah, just take your time, go slow. Um, you know, mark, mark your blood trails as you go and then pick up after yourself after you're done. So, so you shoot your bear, you trail it, you track it, it's down. What are the considerations now? Um, you know, I feel like a lot of people have, you know, they've skinned their, uh, they've skinned their deer before they've skinned their elk, you know, a lot of them probably to keep, keep the cape, but I feel like you're going to want to maybe skin this out, uh, keep it for a rug, things like that. What are, what are some of your considerations now as you're, uh, beginning to skin and, and quarter this uh, animal you've just shot? Well, if you're new to bear hunting, just don't go out bear hunting, shoot one and then be like, Oh, I, I've never skinned one before. I wish I would have done that. You know, I wish I would have read up on that or, or watched videos on that before I went. So do that before you go out. If you haven't done it before, um, you know, watch videos online. You can check it out in my book. I do a step-by-step skinning situation, but say you, you do shoot your bear and you're out there and you found it. I tell people you want to keep it cool and dry. Um, so you want to skin that bear as quickly as possible and get the meat hanging and the fat, anything you want to take, but you know, don't get the bear, throw it in the back of your truck, uh, and then drive around for six hours showing your friends. That's a good way to lose hair on those things, you know, because they're, they're black, they absorb heat quick. So you really just want to keep it dry and get it cool. Um, very similar to, you know, what you want to do with the deer. Uh, but bear, to me, they tend to spoil a little faster than, than deer. So definitely get those things stripped down off the fur and get them cleaned up. Uh, and, but yeah, keep it dry as you can do is when you get things wet like that, it just kind of breeds bacteria a little bit faster. I saw, I saw a photo the other day of a, of somebody who got a bear and they tied it to like the front of their Jeep and you know we could go back and forth on the morality or the the image that 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 puts for hunters and and personally it doesn't really necessarily offend me it might not be the best thing to do drive from town with a bear on the hood of your jeep but more importantly i was looking at it like well the motor gets awfully warm when you're driving right there and then it wasn't skinned out and it was just sitting there and i thought well that's you know i i would think that you would want to skin that out or put it in meat sacks prior to that, you know, so at least it would stay cool. Yeah. It seems like an odd, odd way to cook your bear to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. The hands are half done by the time you get home. Um, the, the other thing too, is like, uh, you know, bring a, bring a knife sharpener if you can, or, or good quality knives. You know, there are a lot of knives out nowadays that you can just switch out, um, razor blades basically as you go. But to me, bear hair, bear hides, they tend to dull knives, much faster than deer. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's the coarse coarsity, if it's coarseness of the hair or what, but they, they, it does, it does seem to dull the blades. And so, and also take your time. Um, that's something I've learned just through doing things over and over is, is taking the time to hydrate and take a break. Um, so you don't, you know, you're not working with a dull knife. You're not slipping, cutting yourself, um, you know, poke an eye out with a stick or something. Just take your time, take a rest if you need it and break that thing down and, and get to it. So, so definitely you'll typically see the, the hide will be, uh, like you mentioned, just as we were talking about with the shooting, um, 
you'll see that hide uh, tends to be a lot tougher, a lot thicker on a bear than, you know, an animal. So you may end up going through a couple extra knife blades on a bear that you, you know, you may not go through on, uh, on like an elk. Definitely. Um, you know, and, the, and they're fat. So like a deer or an elk, you touch that fat and it's, it's dry almost, you know, it's not super, super greasy. Mm-hmm. You're skinning this bear and it's like, you might as well just put your hand in Crisco and then bring it out and then continue working. Cause I mean, that's how greasy that stuff is. Your hands are just like slick, like with butter, you know? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a big difference, uh, on the nice fat bear that, that bear grease is just, to me, it's just super greasy. And then that, you know, that makes your knife slippery. It makes trying to grab the hide as you're skinning it back. Everything it just makes everything a little bit harder and gums up, you know, gums up your blade a little bit. So, yeah. Have you seen that, uh, cause any issues as far as like with meat? So I, I think, I, mean, I think that's kind of why, in my opinion, and several other people's opinion too, that bear meat spoils a little bit faster than deer. I could be wrong. I'm not a scientist, but just in my opinion, you know, in, in decent heat and stuff like that, it, it tends to kind of go sour faster. Now that might be because I'm hunting bear sometimes in August when it's 90 degrees out and I'm hunting deer in October when it's, you know, 30, there's a little bit difference there, but I, I, I do think that the fat for some reason or another tends to, and, and the thickness of it too, tends to just spoil that meat a little bit faster. Well, and that's, that's one thing I've heard from a lot of people that criticize eating bear meat is one of their big, uh, criticisms is, Oh, bear. I don't like bear meat. Bear meat's always greasy. Um, and do you think that maybe just because of that, uh, it probably because of that fat and it's probably not, you know, they probably didn't get to all of it, uh, when they were processing the meat, something like that. It's possible. They, they, they might've gotten some meat that they, that wasn't taken care of properly. Um, there is a whole subculture kind of going on right now in my, in my, uh, ramblings across the internet. Uh, and it, and it's great too, that there's a, you know, a lot of people like to cook with bear fat. A lot of people will render it down right in the field and they'll fry up, you know, back straps with it and stuff like that. You see Steve Ranella doing it and, and Ryan Lampers and stuff like that and uh they'll make pies out of it so bear fat's actually kind of a real uh, high-priced commodity people really like that stuff but there are some people who don't me personally when i have bear you'll notice that the fat is is layered you know it's not marbled like a like a cow so you can take that whole layer of fat off and do whatever you want with it the breakfast sausage and the summer sausages and stuff that i eat from bear um it's not greasy at all and if it is greasy it's because the you know, the pig fat or whatever I added to it, that's what it's from. But so if I go out and I buy Jimmy Dean sausage from the store and I eat that, my stomach's going to kill me. (laughs) Um, but if I eat black bear breakfast sausage, it doesn't bother me at all. So it's it's just kind of the natural, I think it's, you know, that doesn't have all that crap in it that, that, uh, store-bought sausage would, you know, and there, there are ways to go around to make sure that your, your, your bear fat, or excuse me, your bear meat's not greasy. Like I say, you can, you can peel that off and just layers, um, lots of times. And so it's not, it's not difficult to get rid of the bear fat if you don't want it. A lot of people do want it. 
This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So you skinned out your bear, you've, you've packed it back to the car. What, what are some of your favorite things to do with this bear meat that you've, that you've taken? I like summer sausage and I like breakfast sausage. I do enjoy the hams too, or like a roast bear roast. I have done, you know, fajita backstraps and stuff like that, but I, I like to share my game meat with people, especially people who haven't had it or aren't really accustomed to hunting. So lots of times I would bring summer sausage cut up, you know, with cheeses and stuff to say a family get together an extended family get together. Um, where like my cousins who are from the city or whatever, they might not hunt. And I would bring that to a family reunion or whatever. And they would be trying it. Oh, what's this? And I'd be like, Oh, it's bear, you know, really? Oh, that tastes great. You know, I never realized that that bear is so good. You can eat bear. You're supposed to eat bear. You know, there's all these questions that come up. Mm-hmm. And so that's, Part of why I like summer sausage so much is because it's a conversation starter. It's like, well, yeah, I do eat bear. It's illegal for me to waste the bear. And, you know, people don't just shoot them and take their hide and let them rot. Um, You know, we use that renewable resource and it's a great resource as you can taste. Um, I was on a a hiking trip, actually where my dad shot that mountain goat. We were out by Mount Baker and hikers were coming by with a popular, you know, hiking trail. And I'm glassing, looking at bear and looking at mountain goats and eating summer sausage. And they're like, Oh, what are you looking at? And I'm showing them these bear and these goats. And I, you know, we, we hike here all the time and we've never even seen these animals and I'm Hmm. pointing it out to them. And then, you know, I'm sharing some summer sausage with them. And I I think that's a good, and being an ambassador for hunting, trying to bridge that gap between hikers and hunters, you know, because we're very similar. It's just that we happen to, get our own meat and they happen to buy organic meat from Costco. You know, it's, I think there's a lot more that binds us than, than not. Um, But anyway, yeah. Breakfast sausage, summer sausage. Those are my two favorite things for bear. So uh, I want to, I want to hop backwards a little bit and kind of touch on a a couple of things that I I forget, forgot to ask about earlier, actually. One of the things I think a lot of people struggle with, and I think you may have just made, a post about this re- fairly recently, but I think one of the things people struggle with a lot is, you know, you're, you're walking down a, a dirt trail, whatever it happens to be, you look down, you see a track and the next argument you get in with 20 people, is it a, is it a mountain lion? Is it a wolf? Is it a coyote? Is it a black bear? What, when you're looking for uh black bear tracks in particular, what 
what generally kind of size range are you looking at? What are some of the differences that, that would distinguish that from uh, other animals? It's a big question. So, you know, similar to what I had said before, don't go out in the woods and then shoot a bear and then think, well, what should I do with it now? Kind of read up on that beforehand. And so if you're new to bear hunting or any type of hunting, you should go online and definitely check out pictures online or through books of the prints of the animals that you're trying to hunt. But with bear, you know, black bear front paw prints aren't much bigger than if I make a fist and I'm just an average size man, you know, I'm 200 pounds. My hands aren't huge or anything like that, but you make a fist and that's about the size of a black bear paw. And then you put kind of claws on the outside where your knuckles would be. That's very similar. Um, their back feet are longer, um, almost look like a human back foot kind of, but not quite. I mean, it's the same kind of length. So their, their fronts are, are like a fist and then the back are like the bottom of your feet with the claws kind of closer to the toes. Up where you are in Montana, you got to differentiate between black bear and grizzly. Uh, grizzly tracks obviously are much bigger, and but more importantly, their, their uh, claws extend much further out from the, the pad itself. As far as the difference between, you know, a, a cat, uh, like a mountain lion print and a bear print, it should be very obvious. Bears don't retract their claws while they're walking. Cats do. Cats don't have claw prints usually when they're walking. And that, you know, they got the four toes. If you, if you make an X in the pad, one line of the X should go in between the first and the second toe. And then the other line of the X should go between the, the third and the fourth toe. And it makes an X in the center of that pad. Um, whereas if it was a dog print, like a wolf or a coyote, that same X would go on the outside of, of the pad itself, but between the same toes. And so it wouldn't intersect in the center of the pad. It would actually miss the, the pad itself. So, yeah, I mean, you can, you can Google that stuff and, and check it out, but, uh, that's basically the size I'm looking for. Um, there's a formula online and, and in books and stuff about, you know, if you take the width of the pad and you divide it by 600 and add six, the bear is going to be 700 pounds and nine feet long. <laughs> um, that's not quite the, that's not quite the, the formula, but there is one online. I don't have it memorized and nor have I really used it that much, but uh, you know, the bigger the print, the bigger the bear. That's kind of what I'm looking for. Okay. So if I find a print that's about the size of my fist, um, you know, that's a decent sized bear. Um, and any bigger than that, that's even better. So what I was going to say, and I, I forget, but don't, don't bears also have an additional toe compared. I think, uh, like, uh, mountain lions and, and, and coyotes or wolves, they have four, four toe prints. Right. And a bear has five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't want to, yeah. I was waiting for you to be like, no, you're completely wrong. <laughs> no, no. I actually, I picked up my phone and I went to my bear. Uh, I was fairly sure of it, but I wanted to double check. I just counted and yeah, it's five. Okay. Yeah. And I, I like, and I remember uh, when I was hunting, you know, wh- whenever I hunt for the most part, I'll pick up uh, a black bear. Cause a lot of, a lot of places offer depending on where you're at, especially in the fall, if you're out hunting, you can get a black bear, tag for relatively inexpensive uh if you already have a license and so a lot of the time i'll you know i'll pick that tag up and i I picked one up from montana a couple years back and i remember i was like i better do a little more research on uh you know grizzly versus black bear tracks um because i had seen a couple and i'd taken some pictures and uh 
I was, I was very, I, I did the research and I remember it was something about, I can't remember which one's which, but one is tends to be more curved than the other. As far as the toes, I think the, I'm, I'm trying to remember that was like the one thing I remember trying to differentiate between a grizzly and a black bear, other than just sheer size, you'll see like a, a the, one of their toes are more in a straight line versus more curved. Yeah. I, I know where you're going with that. I, I would have to look that up too. I guess the big thing for me was between grizz and black bear is the claws, how, how far out the grizzly bear claws go compared to a black bear. Which is also a reminder of why you don't F with grizzly bears. You're right. <laughs> well, and also it, it, like if you're a first time bear hunter too, you know, uh, black bear, they have different color phases. You know, there's blonde cinnamon chocolate. They're not just black. So if you see a cinnamon bear, that's not necessarily a grizzly, but it's not necessarily a black bear. So make sure that you can tell the body difference between a black bear and a grizzly bear. You know, grizzlies mm-hmm. are going to have that hump. They got the dish dish uh, face type of thing, whereas black bear have more of a elongated snout. They don't have the hump, you know. So take the time and, and look at that stuff. When I think, I think most states, and I, I could be completely wrong, but I'm pretty sure Montana does. But I think most states, when you buy a, a bear license or you want to go out for bear season, you have to take an, uh, like a basic identification course. And I know most, you know, most fishing game websites will have information on how to identify the difference uh, between those two because, man, you do not want to accidentally shoot a grizzly bear. You're going to be in for uh, <laughs> a long day with the game warden. Yeah, that would be a problem. And you're correct. Like uh, Washington just initiated that like a couple years back, I believe. Um, but when I first started hunting bear, we didn't have anything like that. There wasn't, you know, there wasn't anything. So it was just go out and hunt black bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. And there's a lot of fishing game sites that have, real good tests on and, and examples on just how to, to tell the difference. And that, you know, that goes back to me, me talking about glassing bear, just, just watching them and, and checking them out and, you know, trying to gauge, is that a female? Is that a male? Is that a good size bear? You know, how's it head? How's its head look? Is it blocky? Are the ears small? Just, you know, ways to try to figure out, is that a decent bear or is that one I should pass on? Mm-hmm. Well, and that was, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is, you know, while you're glassing, you know, everyone wants to get a mature boar and, but so often it's, it's really difficult to, unless you're looking at, at a male and a female side by side, or you see a, a female that has cubs, it's, it's often difficult to look at a bear and be like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a boar or, oh yeah, that's a, you know, that's a sow or whatever, you know, whatever it happens to be, uh, you know, I think, I think you, you mentioned kind of mentioned a couple of things, but you know, we don't have to go super in depth because again, it's, it's kind of hard, hard without a, without imagery in front of us to describe, but what are some of the things you look for when you're looking to gauge a size of size or a, a sex of a bear while you're glassing? So that's a, a notoriously difficult thing to do, even for experienced bear hunters is to judge the sex of a bear. And so what I have found and and read upon and follow is that a mature boar is going to look like he owns the place. So sometimes you can, you can watch their body language and smaller bears, they might be kind of walking a little bit slower, checking their back trail a lot. They're kind of nervous. And 
bigger boars or are a mature bear, let's say, is going to kind of strut and act like they own the place. They'll have a kind of a, a good mature bear will have a thick blocky head. Uh, the boar will have a, a shorter face, like a, a more condensed snout. The ears will be off to the side. They'll be kind of small. If you see a bear, you know, that's got kind of a long snout and tall ears, it's probably one you want to pass on because it, it, it could be a sour. It even could be just a younger bear. I guess it just depends on how picky you are and, and what you're looking for. Um, the females will have kind of a, a bigger butt um, and the males going back to the broad shoulders, they'll just, they'll be just kind of puffed up in their chest. You know, they just look like, mm -hmm. look like a male, um, like he owns the place. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's tough. I, I've done that a couple of times. I'm like, Oh man, that's a, that's a good size bear or this or that. And you get up there and like, so ground shrinkage, that's another famous thing trying to judge the sex and then ground shrinkage. When, you know, once you shoot it, you're like, Oh, that was a huge bear. And you get up there and it's, you know, not, and you're like, well, you know, that's is what it is. The first bear I ever shot when I shot it, I was like, Oh sweet. You no, know, it was huge. It was a bear. And uh, that was like one of the first bears that I'd ever seen in the wild. And then I get up to it and it was, you know, one and a half times the size of a golden lab. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's the definition of ground shrinkage. And then, so that's something you kind of learn just through experience and through watching them, um, how to judge them. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's so much, you know, lore and movies and everything, everything about bears is designed for us to believe that they're actually, especially black, like, they're actually a lot bigger than they are. Like, I feel like it's, there's, there's such a, an iconic species. And so, you know, I guess for lack of a better term, but like legendary that, you know, we pump them up at these, as these, they're all, they're all the size of like nine, 10 foot grizzly bears in our minds sometimes. Yeah. Um, and like you said, when you walk up and you're like, this thing's like, it's like, I've seen great Danes bigger than this thing. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yep. And that, I mean, that happens. Um, when I, when I very first started hunting bear, I was real hesitant about, I, I don't know. They kind of freaked me out a little bit. And then, you know, I, I was thinking that they were going to be bigger than they, what, what, you know, than what they were. And as things progress, you just get kind of more and more used to them. I still respect them and, and have a healthy fear of them and stuff like that. But you, you know, you realize that, they're not much taller than you. If you get on all fours, you know, and crawl around in the brush, they're similar in height. They're going to be a little bit taller, but you know, it's not all of them. Um, and so I, I found myself when I first started hunting, I was looking too high and I wasn't really looking low for bear. You know, if there's a four or five foot pile of, of blackberry brush, they can easily just disappear in that unless they stand up and they, you know, start eating. So, yeah, I mean, they're just, they're elusive. They're not as big as you think, and, but sometimes they can be. Uh, but yeah. And ground shrinkage is very <laughs> common. So if it does happen to you, you know, don't take it too hard. Just try to learn from it and go for the bigger ones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just take note, uh, you know, back yourself up, take note of how big, remember how big that thing looked in the glass and compared to everything around it and file it away for more data for the, for the next bear, uh, the next bear you glass up. So, yeah. Well, <laughs> last, last year I went out and, uh, I think I was like 87% for spotting bear for the times I'd gone out hunting, but I, I hadn't found the color trays I wanted, but I just 
I spent a lot of last summer and stuff just um, watching bear, you know, just trying to learn their body language better and just spend time with them. So that was, that was interesting. So if you had some tips, like if, you know, you had to kind of sum up some, some tips or anything like that for, for someone like myself, you know, I've, I've been out glassing a few times for bears. I've seen bears before, but I've never really dedicated time to hunting black bears. Uh, you know, if you had to, if you had to kind of give me some takeaways, uh, some takeaways for this, other than make sure you pick up my book on Amazon, um, <laughs> what, uh, what would they be for a new bear hunter? What would some takeaways be? You know, I, I say find food, find the bears. So food sources change throughout the years for bear. And with that, bears locations change throughout the years following the food source. So for example, in the spring, you might have a nice grassy field that's greened up. And then a couple months later, salmon berries and stuff are starting to come in. Well, the bear is not going to care about that grass anymore. He's going to be looking for higher calorie salmon berries up on the hill. So he's transferred up on the hill. And then, you know, as things progress, uh, blueberries ripen up so he gets higher up. But, you know, food sources, they change. Bears follow that food source. Figure out what food source in your area is available during your hunting season. Find a spot without people and you'll likely find some bears. Do you think it would be valuable to get in touch? You know, I know a lot of people think about it for the fall, but would it be valuable to get in touch with a, a local biologist in your area and see, you know, if they can provide you a little more information on, on uh, elevations and what the bears are eating and, and that time of year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask. Um, I always tell people the worst thing someone's going to tell you is no. <laughs> so, you know, you can ask, ask, ask game wardens, you know, talk their ear off, talk to loggers. Um, if you're up walking around and you know, a logging truck pulls over and you're shooting the breeze, you know, you'd be like, Oh, I saw, you know, a bear up in mile post 45, you know, so it kind of gives you an idea of where to look. Um, hikers, hiker forums, they post all the time about, you know, where they're seeing bear at. Now I'm not saying go on there and be a thorn <laughs> in their side, but it doesn't hurt to, you know, look hey, is and, anybody, has anybody seen a bear for me to go shoot? I'm sure a lot of them right? would really appreciate that. <laughs> Oh yeah. They'd love it. Got to go in there a little bit undercover. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can withhold information, you know, please fifth. Um, I, I also tell people like I hear bear lots of times before I see him. So if I'm cruising the berry patch, I'll walk real slow and I'll listen and you can hear him. If a bear is comfortable, they're kind of noisy. Um, if they're not comfortable, they can just be dead silent and vanish. Like you wouldn't believe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if, if they're comfortable, they're cracking brush and snorting and, you know, eating and chomping. And so use your ears, not just your eyes and, you know, be sure of your target in Washington. You know, years ago we had a a hiker get shot where a bear hunter, a younger kid, I think it was like 16 shot and killed this hiker lady Uh, on a foggy day. She was, you know, had darker clothing on, she was bent over and, and, killed her so you know don't shoot at brush that moves um be sure of your target i always try to uh instill that in new bear hunters regardless of their age uh, because of her death i think it's important to bring up um yeah find food find food find bears watch your wind 
you know, there's, I mean, I could go on and on about, yeah. about tips for, for bear hunters and be comfortable with the weapon that you're shooting, you know, um, give yourself time, know your, know your physical limits. You know, if you're 10 miles back and it's 95 degrees and you see a bear and, and are you going to be able to get it out in time before it spoils or should you maybe find one closer to someplace? Um, it, you know, I'm not the strongest guy in the world, but I kind of know my limits and I try to hunt within that. There's others who, you know, they'll, they'll go out 15 miles for a bear. I'll go out, you know, maybe a couple because I can find them closer and it's, you know, not that big of a deal for me to shoot something a little closer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just, just get to know yourself, know the quarry and have fun with it. You know, it, it can take years to, to find a bear, but don't get frustrated. Just enjoy yourself and, and enjoy the time out in the outdoors. There we go. So if folks wanted to uh, follow along and find you online, where can they hunt you down? Oh, you can find me on Instagram at uh, bows and bears. Uh, that's my handle. Um, if anyone has any questions, bows and bears at hotmail. Um, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Douglas bows. Um, that's about it really. So yeah, just any questions or whatever, feel free to hit me up. Um, always happy to, to chat and to give tips or whatever it may be. So I'll make sure to uh, link to you on the show notes page. People can find that at the wild initiative.com. Also, uh, you know, make sure to link out to your books and uh, actually you also have, we didn't really touch on this this time around, but you have uh, uh, it's the, is it the ultimate predator calls app? Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, that's for um, Android and uh, Apple. So, you know, predator calling is kind of a big thing for me and what I did with, the ultimate predator calls app, ultimate deer calls app, and then ultimate coyote calls is uh, hand recorded a uh, bunch of different sets. And through your iPhone or your Android, you can push that to a Bluetooth speaker and then push that out as an electronic call. It's four ninety nine. It's under the cost of a cup of coffee. And so for, you know, five bucks, you can have an electronic caller on the cheap. I just use a little Ryobi speaker that I have for work and I push it out through my um, phone uh, for predator calls. Um, But check your local regs. Some places don't allow electronic calls. Some do. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's, it's been pretty well received. I've had, I've had uh, people get bears off it, uh, bobcats, um, pretty much any sort of predator. So it's been working for people. Fantastic, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, hopping on the line again. It was good catching up with you and I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, sir. It's uh, fun as always. and Have a good rest of your day and a good season coming up. All right, y'all. That'll do it for this episode of the Wild Initiative. Another big thank you to Doug for hopping on and sharing all that wisdom with us. Make sure y'all check out the show notes page at thewildinitiative.com. Get links to everything we talked about in today's episode. That'll do it for this week. Looking forward to next time. But until then, I hope this podcast inspired you to get involved, get outdoors, and plan your initiative for the wild. Thank you for listening to the Wild Initiative. Please take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher and head on over to thewildinitiative.com to get show notes, check out the blog, gear discounts, other podcasts from the Wild Initiative family, and more. On 
Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.